My name is Logan. I have the privilege to be lead pastor here at LMCC, Lower Manhattan Community Church. Um, I'm going to preach through God's Word here in a moment, but before I do, I just want to welcome those of you who are brand new, those of you who are back for the first time in a while, those of you who are consistently here. It is a gift to worship with each of you. Um, I, uh, I just want you to know that we've been praying for you that if this is your first time here, if you haven't been here in a while and you've come back, we've been praying that God would bring you here because we think your presence matters to our community. Uh, we believe that your ideas and your questions about God will help us as a church. And so we're glad that you're here. We'd love to meet you and welcome you into our community. Um, I wanna welcome you to join us for two events coming up. The first is tomorrow night. And I'm super excited about this. We're going to go up on the roof of this building and we're going to have our rooftop worship night for the first time in a while looking like it used to, where we get to sing for an hour and then we get to have dinner and drinks together and it's going to be phenomenal. So if you have yet to RSVP for that, go online. We want you there. It starts at seven o'clock tomorrow night up on the roof here at Two Dysprosis. So we're glad that you can be here today, but we'd love for you to be there tomorrow. And the second thing I wanna invite you to participate in is our summer groups. Um, Marcy Miller is working with our leaders to form communities. So this will be a summer of spiritual growth for you as much as it is a summer of a lot of fun in the city for you. So if you have yet to connect with a community group and a small group and you want to, we have groups that are forming around prayer, young professionals, different ideas, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. So if you, uh, if you want to be a part of that, email Marcy Miller, marcy at lowermanhattanchurch.com, and she'll follow up with you. All right, today um, I'm going to be preaching from a passage that has great significance for our church, but it also has, I think, some very um, meaningful significance for this summer for you. And so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen. I would love for you to follow along. Here's what it says in Luke 4. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in a nice dramatic pause, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right, before I begin my message, will you pray with me? God, you have something to say to everyone here, and you're so powerful and good that you will communicate that. And so let your words be heard by your people today. I pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. All right, so the title of my message today is The Perfect Summer, because that's what we all want, especially after last year being a pandemic summer, two years ago being a summer we've forgotten about. We want this to be the perfect summer. Um, Every year, um, my wife wants to plan the perfect summer for us. She makes the summer bucket list for our family and our kids, and she starts in like March, because we all know we long for summer in March as much as we complain about the heat now here in June. We all want the perfect summer, and I think that God wants that for you as well. But I also believe that God wants this summer to be significant beyond just the memories you're going to make, beyond just the fun that you're going to have and the enjoyment of the city you're going to have, that there's a spiritual moment that we're in the middle of that God wants to use this summer to do something really powerful for. And I've said over the last few weeks that for us in this church, we're kind of looking to the fall as a chance for us to rebuild not only the normal for our community, but for our neighbors following God. But God loves to use seasons of rest to prepare us for seasons of rebuilding. And so as we come into this summer, what God's been impressing upon me is the perfect summer would be a spiritual reset for us to prepare us for a fall harvest, that he's preparing us for something going forward. And the way that I've been really kind of wrestling with that is what Jesus is proclaiming here is something more than just, I'm here to start my ministry. He's actually proclaiming this Old Testament idea of jubilee as being found in him as he arrives on the scene. So let me explain to you the idea of jubilee. So in, in the Old Testament, God starts to establish his people Israel. And in Leviticus, he starts to give them laws of how they are supposed to live if they're going to be his people. It's the same way that we would be in America. This is what it means to be in America. These are the laws of citizenship that we are to follow. But God says, if you're going to be my people that are spiritual, that are going to declare to the world there's one God who loves all and wants all to experience his blessing, you have to live in a certain way. And as he begins to do that, he institutes these weekly rhythms and then yearly rhythms of rest. So the first idea of rest we see in this, Jesus says, on the Sabbath day, he stands up in the synagogue and proclaims this. So the Sabbath was one day a week. The people of Israel would stop working and would gather with family. They would gather with the people and they would center on God's word. It wasn't just the weekend. It was a time to re-engage with God and be refilled with him again. But beyond that, God established these um, annual ceremonies and feasts. And then he established this idea of a Sabbath year where he tells them in, in the very beginning of Luke, uh, Leviticus chapter 25, after six years, the seventh year is a seventh year you should not work. <laughs> Some of us are like, can I get that Sabbath year? <laughs> but then he says, after seven rounds of that, after 49 years, there is a different type of year that I have for you. It's called the year of Jubilee. And Jubilee was this celebration of a full-on reset And so I want to read from you from Leviticus chapter 25 because I want you to hear how unique it is. So in Leviticus 25, it says, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years. And he knows that most of us can't do math. So that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. 
And on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all the land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. And that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you in, in you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field and you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God for I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. You'll be at peace. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we cannot sow or gather our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for the next three years." so that even when you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat old until the ninth year when the crop finally arrives. Now, this year of Jubilee is a complete reset for the people of Israel. There are, there's research to say that for some, it, is, it looks like a forgiving of debts for the entire people. It's a declaration of liberty to those who are captive, those who are bound up in slavery. It is not merely a rest, but it is a release a release upon the people of Israel that their God sees them and he is working on their behalf even when they stop working. And that's the entire idea of Sabbath and Sabbath year and Jubilee is it's an act of faith. An ability for you to say, when I stop working, there is someone working for me. When I am still, God is still at work. It is this trust that I don't have to depend upon myself, I have to depend upon God to provide. And I love that he anticipates their questions where he's like, what are we gonna eat if we can't like so? He's like, my blessing is so sufficient that you will never lack. I will be so abundant to you that your provision will last multiple years so you do not have to rely on your own effort, but you can trust in my good provision. That's why we rest. But Jubilee was much different than that. And what the scriptures show us in Luke chapter 4 is that Jesus shows up on the scene and he's not just declaring the year of Jubilee. He's declaring a new reality of Jubilee. See, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. And in Isaiah, for 12 chapters, God has been promising, I'm going to send you someone that that year of Jubilee where you get to be with those you love and you get to be released from your debts and you're finally free to enjoy my abundance, that can't just be one year, but it can be every year for you. Because Jubilee is not found by an annual celebration. It's going to be found in a person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so he stands up and says, Jubilee is here and it is me. And I have come to declare liberty to the captives, good news to the poor, that there's provision for them in my salvation. And he goes on through his work and the death and his resurrection, dying for our sins, rising for our victory, to say, now you can have Jubilee always. The perfect summer, the eternal summer, if you embrace it by faith. 
That's what Jesus is proclaiming. And inside of this, what I want you to receive today is this jubilee this summer. Because if you receive it, then in the fall, we can begin to rebuild it. Because we have not had jubilee in this city. We have not had jubilee in our country, in our world. We have not experienced justice for the captive and the oppressed. We have not experienced peace. We have not experienced the healing and the good news being proclaimed to all. But now we can because of Jesus. And so as we approach this summer, there's three words that I want to unpack for you that if we engage with this as a church, it will not just be a summer where you have great memories and good pictures to post on social media. It'll be a summer of change for you, of spiritual growth and renewal, that you will come back not having good vacations and trying to keep the vacation vibes going, but you'll come back so full and filled that you'll get to rebuild God's normal for you and for our city. And those words, they all rhyme, you're welcome, so you can remember them, are rest, divest, and invest. So rest. What do the scriptures mean by rest? Here's what they mean. It means to pause, play, and pray with God. That's what God wants for you in rest. Now, the pause and play part when it comes to summer, we're all in for that. It's like decrease the work, increase the fun. But what the scriptures tell us is if you pause and play without God, there is no rest. There is no rest without God. And he is a playful God that wants to enjoy this summer with you. And so if you invite him into your pausing, you cannot be bored, but you can be blessed. And when you play, you're not only laughing with your friends, but God is enjoying and laughing with you. See, when Jesus showed up on the scene, part of their critiques was he had too much fun. They're like, you're eating and drinking and laughing with people. You should be solemn and serious if you're going to be spiritual. And Jesus just was so full of joy. I do believe that the people of God have to remember more often than we do that God is a joyful God and he wants you to be filled with joy. He's not asking us to just be serious and solemn all the time, but to celebrate and to enjoy the good gifts that he has given. So how do you pause, pray, and play with God? It's actually more simple than you realize. It's just inviting God with you wherever you go. Some of you are going to go on vacations this summer. We're going to go on vacation, thank God, on this summer. I'm excited. But I've discovered in the past that I would just go on vacations and I would leave God behind in the process. I wouldn't engage with Him in the Word. I wouldn't pray. I would just be trying to enjoy the moment and missing out on the God who gave me that moment. And so there was an opportunity that we had. I, I get to officiate weddings, and I love officiating weddings. And destination weddings are my favorite because I get to go to cool spots. But I got invited to officiate a wedding in Costa Rica, and so we kind of made a vacation about it. But before I went, I said, God, I want you to meet us in Costa Rica. Will you bless this vacation and meet us there? And we had vacation for only like three days, but I think we saw every single animal that exists inside of Costa Rica. <laughs> we were on our drive there. We had like these beautiful birds fly in our presence, sawing these large alligators. I got to see a sloth like 10 feet from me, and they really are just moving in slow motion. 
I got to see God in nature, and he gave me this gift of truly seeing him, not just seeing nature. And so whatever it is for you where you have fun and you enjoy life, God wants to have fun with you. He wants to be in the middle of that moment. He wants to eat and drink and laugh with you the way that when he walked the earth, he did. And so as you rest, say, God, meet me here. Let me play with you. Let me find a playful God to be someone who wants to be in my presence as I play. It will enhance your summer. And you will find a rest that is not merely physical, but is holistic, of mind, of body, and soul. That's the rest, the relaxing in his presence that he longs for you to experience. And in the midst of that, what you're going to see is that God is working while you're resting. God is working while you're resting. As he promises the people of Israel, he will provide for you the thing that you long for him to provide. So you have an idea in your mind where you're going, God, I want you to come through in my career. I want you to come through in this relationship. I want you to come through in this unique situation. And so you want him to do that, but you're getting in his way. Because your effort of trying to solve the problem is preventing his presence from overwhelming your problem. And what God was showing me as I meditated on this is that the best thing you can do in resting is get out of his way. He tells the people of Israel, the Sabbath of the land will provide for you and your family and those who work for you. When you rest, I will work. Get out of his way and make space for him to do the thing you're longing for him to do. Pause. Be still and know that he is God for you. So first, we will simply rest. Pause, play, and pray with God. Now, I do want you to be aware that after a year and a half like we've had, when you begin to pause, there's going to be some thoughts and some things that come to mind over these last years that you've experienced. I think specifically about grief. Sometimes we don't want to be still because we don't want to remember what we've lost. Because when we finally stop, it's like all the things flood back. And this is where it's really important for you to pause with God. Because God wants to grieve with you. God wants to be with you even in the negative as much as the positive. And so as you pause, pause with him. Don't pause apart from him. He wants to meet you in the middle of that. Now, the second word, so it's rest and then divest. And by divest, I mean this, to get rid of your compromises, demons, and distractions. Now, the term divest is actually used mostly in a financial arena. And it's used typically to describe a large company that is going to divest pieces of their company so their company can grow even better. That there's parts of their company that are dragging down their ability to be successful. And so they divest from those assets, those parts of their company, so they can grow. And in a similar way, God is saying, there are parts of your life that are preventing your growth. And so divest yourself from the things that are hindering what God wants to do in your life. And I do believe that God is saying to those of you who are hearing this, those things are compromises, demons, and distractions. 
What I mean by compromises is that over the course of the last year of absolute chaos and anxiety, we've developed coping mechanisms to be able to get through. They are compromises. One way to think about it is the things that you have chosen to do in your life that are not in line or in full integrity with your faith of who God is. God calls those sin. And there have been compromises. It could be that you have turned to entertainment, turned to certain pleasures, turned to alcohol. You know, Bill Maher had this whole rant about how alcoholism is on, on the rise. I was like, Bill Maher's talking about this? That's insane. But that's true. And there have been compromises that we have developed to cope. And there is a grace for those compromises that you've made. And so let them not be condemning about these compromises, but let this be a time where you go, that no longer needs to serve me. I don't need that any longer. I need to get rid of and cut the compromises out of my life because the cause of Christ in my life is of greater importance than merely coping. Where have you compromised over these last years that you never thought you would? You never thought you'd get there. And God's saying, I never wanted you to get there, but let's cut those compromises now. But the second pieces of, of what he wants to get rid of in your life are demons. Now, <laughs> demons are not common conversation. And you're like, why are we talking about demons with the summer? Because it's way better to deal with a demon on the beach than in the dead of winter, okay? <laughs> And the way to understand demons are things that are attacking you. If compromises are things that are within you, demons are the things that are coming after you, attacking you. When Jesus declares Jubilee, he says, I want to set you at liberty from your oppression. What is oppressing you? Now, when Jesus says it, he means systemic oppression, things like racism and oppressive society and power structures that are pushing people down. He wants to overthrow those but he also means demonic oppression. And what we've experienced on a spiritual plane over the last couple of years are demonic oppression. I think there are three demons that each of us have faced, and some of us have allowed for them to sit around. Some of them have such power in our lives that God is saying, enough, let's proclaim liberty. And those are spirit of fear, the spirit of poverty, and the spirit of offense. The spirit of fear. Do you remember what it was like when you were afraid that something was on your groceries before you brought them into your house? Those fears multiply, and they still linger amongst us. And God did not make us to live with a spirit of fear. And so we need to tell the spirit of fear to go away so that we can enjoy the spirit of Christ that is love and power and self-control so that nothing can no longer oppress us with fear. We can tell it to go away. But there's also a spirit of poverty. And I think it's more prevalent inside of the church than outside of the church. We tend to only turn to God in crisis instead of really allowing for success to drive us to God even further. We have a God of abundance. That's what Jubilee was about. He called them back to where he had given them the land and all of his promises, the thing they had longed for. He gave it to them in abundance. And he wanted them to remember that that's how he created things, abundance. They lacked nothing in the Garden of Eden, and Jesus says, I want you to experience Eden every day so that you would believe that I just want your blessing and your good. There is a spirit of poverty that we need to cast out of the church 
so that we trust a God who wants to provide abundantly beyond what we could ask or imagine. But there's also been a spirit of offense. And I'm sick and tired of seeing the spirit of offense in our society, but I'm also sick and tired of it seeing in the body of Christ. Where we look at our brother and sister with such distrust and disdain that anything they say or do, we get offended and we want to remove ourselves from relationship. You know who was the most offended person on the planet who was, had offense thrown at him most? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in the greatest offensive act of all time, on the cross, as they're mocking him, he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And yet, when we get offended, we think, I know exactly what they're doing, <laughs> and so do they, and I need to tell them what they're doing, and I need to get rid of them in my life. Do you see how there's a different power dynamic in that, of Christ on the cross and his weakness, being able to forgive those who crucified him, and us not on a cross, but thinking we're being crucified by our brother and sister? There's a spirit of offense that we need to cast out of the walls of our church, the walls of our home, and the streets of this city. And if we become people that are so hard to offend and so fast to love and forgive, that's attractive. Being offended all the time is unattractive. It's annoying. The problem with demons, though, is that some of them get so lodged into a place, it's hard to get rid of them. Sometimes they infiltrate and they begin to live there. We've referred to them in the past as rats, like we see in New York City. Sometimes you see little mice and you think, oh, they're cute, but I don't want them in my home. But you don't want rats to overwhelm your building. But what Jesus says is that sometimes rats have overwhelmed the building. Some of you have spirit of a fear where you can be like, I don't want you anymore. I'm going to throw out the trash and I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to just get these bugs out of my house. Some of you have the spirit of fear or poverty or offense so deeply rooted into you that it is so hard to get out that Jesus says you're going to have to go at it with a different intent. You're going to have to go after it with such aggressiveness on a spiritual plane that it's the only way you'll get rid of it. He says there's some that only come out by prayer and fasting. Yes, fasting where you do not eat. Fasting where you put aside something for a while so that you can deal with what is deeply rooted in you. And there are some demons that have rooted themselves so strongly inside of you that only by prayer and fasting only by the people of God surrounding and praying over you will demons get out of you. And as someone that in the past has been plagued by demons, you want those demons out of you. There is no peace with demons attacking you. And so if you feel oppressed, let us pray for you. Let us surround you and walk with you until you get to hear Jubilee, the words of Jesus, set free from your oppression. And the last thing are just distractions. These are just the things that are around you. And the world is filled with distractions. The question around distractions is not whether it is morally wrong or right. They're just distracting you from what is best and excellent for your life in God. 
we need to retrain our eyes to not be distracted by the world around us. And the only way to retrain our eyes is to fix our eyes on Jesus on his throne. So divest from the things that have been plaguing you. Get rid of the compromises, the demons, and the distractions in your life because Jubilee has been announced in Jesus and it can be yours if you embrace it. But after you divest, it's time to invest. And I believe that this is probably the most important thing you can do with your summer. I say that because in the fall of 2018, we experienced a work of the Spirit inside of this church that was unique. But it was because of what happened that summer in our people. They invested in reading the Word of God together in the Gospels and fixing their eyes on Jesus. We gathered and worshiped. We gathered with one another in love and friendship. And because of what we invested in in the spiritual plane, we reaped a harvest that fall of revival that was fresh and new. And God is saying to us today, do you want to do that again? Do you want to receive that again? And I'm saying yes, and I want you to say yes with me. But it requires that we invest, by which I mean that you give yourself to God by developing spiritual disciplines of delight. That you give yourself to God by developing spiritual disciplines of delight. And I put discipline and delight together because we typically separate them. Because discipline doesn't sound fun. It's training, it's effort, it's daily activity that we have to do that we would not normally do. But we're training ourselves because we know if we train ourselves well, we'll delight. Like I listened to this band I'm like, this is beautiful music. But they didn't fall into that talent. They didn't fall into that excellence. They had to discipline themselves on the basics. They had to learn the chords. They had to play the scales over and over and over again. Athletes had to wake up every day and they have to train over and over again. The professional athletes shooting thousands of shots a day, not because they want to, because they, but because they know when they get in the game, it's way more fun. It's way more fun when you do the disciplines that will produce the delight when you get there. And I think sometimes we think, I will approach God's word, I will pray, I'll be in community when I feel like it. You will never feel your way into the presence of God. Your feelings will never cause you to fall into a spiritual awakening. It just doesn't happen. Now, there are a number of spiritual disciplines that I could talk about, but there are three that are just overwhelmingly repeated throughout God's Word. The first is that you would dig into God's Word, that this would be something that you eat every day with your mind, that you consume it, that it becomes the thing that you turn to when problems happen. You go, wonder if God has something to say here. That every day you wake up and go, where would you want me to read in this? And if you don't know where to start, start with the Gospel of John and just read it repeatedly until it makes sense because John's a weird author sometimes. We need to dig into his word. And I think the greatest discipline that we could do as a community is starting today, if we just read the Gospels all the way through all summer long, 
you'd be amazed at how much you see God in your life, how much you delight in Him, how much you're in awe of Him if you just dig into His Word every day. The second is prayer. And I want us to change our idea of prayer to God as something that is really just prayer with God. Because prayer to God is often transactional, where we turn to Him if we need something, we turn to Him if there's a difficulty, and we think we're just going one-way street. But prayer with God is just talking and having a conversation with Him. See, Jubilee is calling back to Eden where God walked amongst His people with them. It said He walked with them in the cool of the day. Think about just walking with God through your day and inviting Him to participate. Talking to Him about what you're seeing. Good, bad, and otherwise. He sees it. He has a thought about it. And if you have this constant dialogue of prayer with Him, you will see His presence more often in your life. And the last discipline I want to challenge us to is the discipline of spiritual friendship. Not Christian community. Spiritual friendship. There's a difference. So in in church circles, we create these small groups so that you can gather around discussing God's Word and that you can be in each other's lives and care for your highs and lows and pray for one another. Spiritual friendship is a little bit different. It's taking the closest relationships that you have and taking them into the presence of God together so that you can be known by another person while being known by God together. And I don't want to just be a Christian community where we have Sundays and you know, Tuesday or Wednesday nights where we get together. I want to be a community of deep spiritual friendship where the one another's of Scripture are normal because I know you and I see when you're not right. When I see the things that, are, that you've kind of invested in that you need to divest from, and I can call you back to the disciplines of delight. But I only know that if I become your friend. And there are spiritual friendships that God longs to develop in you. And that's why I said at the beginning when I welcomed you here that we've been praying for you because we believe your presence matters. Because the people in here need you and you need the people in here. That's what God says about his people. And the year of Jubilee was a community activity. We don't get to proclaim the year, the year of the Lord's favor. We don't get to see recovery of the sight of the blind. We don't get to see people set free from things that are oppressing them unless we do it together. Because the Spirit was not just isolated into one individual, Jesus of Nazareth. It was isolated to him so that it would come to all. Because the promise was through his death and through his resurrection, the year of the Lord's favor would become our favorable experience of his presence every single day. And so if you've placed your faith in Christ, or if you do today, the Holy Spirit now can reside in you and you can experience the year of the Lord's favor every day. This could be the perfect summer, or it could just be another summer. I hope that you would be able to sit down like Jesus did after he proclaimed this. Come fall when we sit back together. And just as Jesus did, you could proclaim, today the scripture was fulfilled in your hearing. This fall, you could look back over the summer and say, it was the perfect summer of rest because I divested from the things that were no longer serving God's work in my life, and I invested in the disciplines that would make me delight in Him more. 
That's what he's calling us to. And I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see how this summer could be different so that our fall could be filled with God's presence. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for the gift of seasons. I thank you that at times you tell us just to sit down, to be still. God, you know that it's hard for us to truly rest with you. It's hard for us to remove the things from our lives that don't serve us. It's hard for us to invest in the things that actually matter. But you know it's hard for us, and that's why you came, Jesus. That's why you came, Jesus. Because you saw that we needed to be set free, and we needed to experience jubilee. So proclaim it again to us, and let it be our everyday experience. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.